0: Section 28 of Volume 1A of History of England, From the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roeg Eleven. HISTORY OF ENGLAND FROM THE INVASION OF JULIUS CAESAR TO THE REVOLUTION OF 1688 BY DAVID HUME VOLUME 1A SECTION 28 CHAPTER 4 PART 5 ALL THE HEREDITARY PROVINCES OF WILLIAM, AS WELL AS HIS FAMILY, WERE DURING SEVERAL YEARS THROWN INTO CONVULSIONS BY THIS WAR and he was at last obliged to have recourse to england where that species of military government which he had established gave him greater authority than the ancient feudal institutions permitted him to exercise in normandy he called over an army of english under his ancient captains who soon expelled robert and his adherents from their retreats and restored the authority of the sovereign in all his dominions. The young prince was obliged to take shelter in the castle of Gerbois in the Beauvois, which the king of France, who secretly fermented all these dissensions, had provided for him. In this fortress, he was closely besieged by his father, against whom, having a strong garrison, he made an obstinate defense. There passed under the walls of this place many encounters which resembled more the single combats of chivalry than the military actions of armies, but one of them was remarkable for its circumstance and its event. Robert happened to engage the king, who was concealed by his helmet, and both of them being valiant, a fierce combat ensued till at last the young prince wounded his father in the arm and unhorsed him. On his calling out for assistance, his voice discovered him to his son, who, struck with remorse for his past guilt, and astonished with the apprehensions of one much greater, which he had so nearly incurred, instantly threw himself at his father's feet, craved pardon for his offenses and offered to purchase forgiveness by any atonement the resentment harbored by william was so implacable that he did not immediately correspond to this dutiful submission of his son with like tenderness but giving him his malediction departed for his own camp on robert's horse which that prince had assisted him to mount he soon after raised the siege and marched with his army to normandy where the interposition of the queen and other common friends brought about a reconcilement which was probably not a little forwarded by the generosity of the son's behaviour in this action and by the returning sense of his past misconduct the king seemed so fully appeased that he even took robert with him into england where he entrusted him with the command of an army in order to repel an inroad of Malcolm, King of Scotland, and to retaliate by a like inroad into that country. The Welsh, unable to resist William's power, were, about the same time, necessitated to pay a compensation for their incursions, and everything was reduced to full tranquility in this island. This state of affairs gave William leisure to begin and finish an undertaking, which proves his extensive genius and does honor to his memory. It was a general survey of all the lands of the kingdom, their extent in each district, their proprietors, tenures, value, the quality of meadow, pasture, wood, and arable land which they contained. And in some counties, the number of tenants cottagers and slaves of all denominations who lived upon them he appointed commissioners for this purpose who entered every particular in their register by the verdict of juries and after a labor of six years for the work was so long in finishing brought him an exact account of all the landed property of his kingdom this monument called doomsday book the most valuable piece of antiquity possessed by any nation is still preserved in the exchequer and though only some extracts of it have been hitherto published it serves to illustrate to us in many particulars the ancient state of England the great Alfred had finished a like survey of the kingdom in his time which was long kept at Winchester and which probably served as a model to William in this undertaking. THE KING WAS NATURALLY A GREAT ECONOMIST, AND THOUGH NO PRINCE HAD EVER BEEN MORE BOUNTIFUL TO HIS OFFICERS AND SERVANTS, IT WAS MERELY BECAUSE HE HAD RENDERED HIMSELF UNIVERSAL PROPRIETOR OF ENGLAND, AND HAD A WHOLE KINGDOM TO BESTOW. HE RESERVED AN AMPLE REVENUE FOR THE CROWN, AND IN GENERAL DISTRIBUTION OF LAND AMONG HIS FOLLOWERS, HE KEPT POSSESSION OF NO LESS THAN 1,422 MANORS IN DIFFERENT PARTS OF ENGLAND, which paid him rent either in money or in corn, cattle, and the usual produce of the soil. An ancient historian computes that his annual fixed income, besides escheats, fines, reliefs, and other casual profits to a great value, amounted to near 400,000 pounds a year, a sum which, if all circumstances be attended to, will appear wholly incredible. A pound in that age, as we have already observed, contained three times the weight of silver that it does at present, and the same weight of silver, by most probable computation, would purchase near ten times more of the necessaries of life, though not in the same proportion of the finer manufacturers. This revenue, therefore, of William, would be equal to at least nine or ten millions at present and as that prince had neither fleet nor army to support the former being only an occasional expense and the latter being maintained without any charge to him by his military vassals we must thence conclude that no emperor or prince in any age or nation can be compared to the conqueror for opulence and riches this leads us to suspect a great mistake in the computation of the historian though if we consider that avarice is always imputed to william as one of his vices and that having and that having by the sword rendered himself master of all the lands in the kingdom he would certainly in the partition retain a great proportion for his own share we can scarcely be guilty of any error in asserting that perhaps no king of england was ever more opulent was more able to support by his revenue the splendor and magnificence of a court or could bestow more on his pleasures or in liberalities to his servants and favorites there was one pleasure to which william as well as all of the normans and ancient saxons was extremely addicted and that was hunting but this pleasure he indulged more at the expense of his unhappy subjects whose interest he always disregarded than to the loss or diminution of his own revenue not content with those large forests which former kings possessed in all parts of england he resolved to make a new forest near winchester the usual place of his residence and for that purpose he laid waste the country in hampshire for an extent of thirty miles expelled the inhabitants from their houses seized their property even demolished churches and convents and made the sufferers no compensation for the injury at the same time he enacted new laws by which he prohibited all his subjects from hunting in any of his forests and rendered the penalties more severe than ever had been inflicted for such offences the killing of a deer or boar or even a hare was punished with the loss of the delinquent's eyes and that at a time when killing of a man could be atoned for by paying a moderate fine or composition the transactions recorded during the remainder of this reign may be considered more as domestic occurrences, which concern the prince than as national events which regard England. Odu, the Bishop of Bayeux, the King's uterine brother, whom he had created Earl of Kent and entrusted with a great share of power during his whole reign, had amassed immense riches and agreeably to the usual progress of human wishes, he began to regard his present acquisitions but as a step to further grandeur. He had formed the chimerical project of buying the papacy. And though Gregory, the reigning pope, was not of advanced years, the prelate had confided so much in the predictions of an astrologer that he had reckoned upon the pontiff's death and upon attaining by his own intrigues and money that envied state of greatness. Resolving, therefore, to remit all his riches to Italy, he had persuaded many considerable barons, and among the rest Hugh, Earl of Chester, to take the same course, in hopes that, when he should mount the papal throne, he would bestow on them more considerable establishments in that country, the king from whom all these projects had been carefully concealed at last got intelligence of the design and ordered odo to be arrested his officers from respect to the immunities which the ecclesiastics now assumed scrupled to execute the command till the king himself was obliged in person to seize him and when odo insisted that he was a prelate and exempt from all temporal jurisdiction William replied that he arrested him not as the Bishop of Bayeux, but as Earl of Kent. He was sent prisoner to Normandy, and notwithstanding the remonstrances and menaces of Gregory, was detained in custody during the remainder of this reign. Another domestic event gave the king much more concern. It was the death of Matilda, his consort, whom he tenderly loved and for whom he had ever preserved the most sincere friendship three years afterwards he passed into normandy and carried with him edgar altheling to whom he willingly granted permission to make a pilgrimage to the holy land he was detained on the continent by a misunderstanding which broke out between him and the king of france and which was occasioned by inroads made into normandy by some french barons on the frontiers it was little in the power of princes at that time to restrain their licentious nobility but William suspected that these barons durst not have provoked his indignation had they not been assured of the countenance and protection of Philip. His displeasure was increased by the account he received of some railleries which that monarch had thrown out against him. William, who was become corpulent, had been detained in bed some time by sickness upon which philip expressed his surprise that his brother of england should be so long in being delivered of his big belly the king sent him word that as soon as he was up he would present so many lights at notre dame as would perhaps give little pleasure to the king of france alluding to the usual practice at that time of women after childbirth. Immediately, upon his recovery, he led an army into Ile-de-France and laid everything waste with fire and sword. He took the town of Mantes, which he reduced to ashes. But the progress of these hostilities was stopped by an accident, which soon after put an end to William's life. His horse starting aside of a sudden, he bruised his belly on the pommel of the saddle, and being in bad habit of body, as well as somewhat advanced in years, he began to apprehend the consequences, and ordered himself to be carried in a litter to the monastery of St. Gervais. Finding his illness increase, and being sensible of the approach of death, he discovered at last the vanity of all human grandeur and was struck with remorse for those horrible cruelties and acts of violence which, in the attainment and defense of it, he had committed during the course of his reign over England. He endeavored to make atonement by presents to churches and monasteries, and he issued orders that Earl Moncor, Seward, Bern, and other English prisoners should be set at liberty. HE WAS EVEN PREVAILED ON, THOUGH NOT WITHOUT RELUCTANCE, TO CONSENT WITH HIS DYING BREATH TO RELEASE HIS BROTHER ODO, AGAINST WHOM HE WAS EXTREMELY INCENSED. HE LEFT NORMANDY AND MAINE TO HIS ELDEST SON, ROBERT. HE WROTE TO LA FRANC, DESIRING HIM TO CROWN WILLIAM, KING OF ENGLAND. HE BEQUEATHED TO HENRY NOTHING BUT THE POSSESSIONS OF HIS MOTHER, MATILDA but foretold that he would one day surpass both his brothers in power and opulence. He expired in the sixty-third year of his age, in the twenty-first year of his reign over England, and in the fifty-fourth of that over Normandy. Few princes have been more fortunate than this great monarch, or were better entitled to grandeur and prosperity, from the abilities and the vigor of mind which he displayed in all his conduct his spirit was bold and enterprising yet guided by prudence his ambition which was exorbitant and lay little under the restraints of justice still less under those of humanity ever submitted to the dictates of sound policy born in an age when the minds of men were intractable and unacquainted with submission he was yet able to direct them to his purposes and partly from the ascendant of his vehement character partly from art and dissimulation to establish an unlimited authority though not insensible to generosity he was hardened against compassion and he seemed equally ostentatious and equally ambitious of show and parade in his clemency and in his severity the maxims of his administration were austere but might have been useful had they been solely employed to preserve order in an established government they were ill calculated for softening the rigors which under the most gentle management are inseparable from conquest his attempt against England was the last great enterprise of the kind, which, during the course of 700 years, has fully succeeded in Europe, and the force of his genius broke through those limits which first the feudal institutions, then the refined policy of princes, have fixed to the several states of Christendom. Though he rendered himself infinitely odious to his English subjects, he transmitted his power to his posterity, and the throne is still filled by his descendants, a proof that the foundations which he laid were firm and solid, and that, amidst all his violence, while he seemed only to gratify the present passion, he still had an eye towards futurity. Some writers have been desirous of refusing to this prince the title of conqueror, in the sense which that term commonly bears, and on pretense that the word is sometimes in old books applied to such as make an acquisition of territory by any means, they are willing to reject William's title, by right of war, to the crown of England it is needless to enter into a controversy which, by the terms of it, must necessarily degenerate into a dispute of words. It suffices to say that the Duke of Normandy's first invasion of the island was hostile, that his subsequent administration was entirely supported by arms, that in the very fame of his laws he made a distinction between the Normans and English. To the advantage of the former, that he acted in everything as absolute master over the natives whose interests and affections he totally disregarded and that if there was an interval when he assumed the appearance of a legal sovereign the period was very short and was nothing but a temporary sacrifice which he as has been the case with most conquerors was obliged to make of his inclination to his present policy scarce any of those revolutions which, both in history and in common language, have always been denominated conquests, appear equally violent or were attended with so sudden an alteration both of power and property. The Roman state, which spread its dominion over Europe, left the rights of individuals in a great measure untouched. And those civilized conquerors while they made their own country the seat of empire found that they could draw most advantage from the subjected provinces by securing to the natives the free enjoyment of their own laws and of their private possessions the barbarians who subdued the roman empire though they settled in the conquered countries yet being accustomed to a rude uncultivated life found a part only of the land sufficient to supply all their wants and they were not tempted to seize extensive possessions which they neither knew how to cultivate nor enjoy but the normans and other foreigners who followed the standard of william while they made the vanquished kingdom the seat of government were yet so far advanced in arts as to be acquainted with the advantages of a large property and having totally subdued the natives, they pushed the rights of conquest, very extensive in the eyes of avarice and ambition, however narrow in those of reason, to the utmost extremity against them. Except the former conquest of England by the Saxons themselves, who were induced by peculiar circumstances to proceed even to the extermination of the natives, it would be difficult to find in all history a revolution more destructive or attended with a more complete subjugation of the ancient inhabitants. Contumely seems even to have been wantonly added to oppression, and the natives were universally reduced to such a state of meanness and poverty that the English name became a term of reproach, and several generations elapsed before one family of Saxon pedigree was raised to any considerable honors, or could so much as attain the rank of baron of the realm. These facts are so apparent from the whole tenor of the English history that none would have been tempted to deny or elude them, were they no heated by the controversies of faction while one party was absurdly afraid of those absurd consequences which they saw the other party inclined to draw from this event. But it is evident that the present rights and privileges of the people, who are a mixture of English and Normans, can never be affected by a transaction which passed 700 years ago. And as all ancient authors who lived nearest the time and best knew the state of the country unanimously speak of the Norman dominion as a conquest by war and arms, no reasonable man, from the fear of imaginary consequences, will ever be tempted to reject their concurring and undoubted testimony. King William had issue, besides his three sons who survived him, Five daughters, to wit, first, Sicily, a nun in the monastery of Freshkamp. Afterwards, abbess in the Holy Trinity at Cannes, where she died in 1127. Second, Constantia, married to Alan Fergant, Earl of Brittany. She died without issue. Third, Alice, contracted to Harold. Fourth, Adela, married to Stephen, Earl of Bois by whom she had four sons, William, Theobald, Henry, and Stephan, of whom the elder was neglected on account of the imbecility of his understanding. Fifth, Agatha, who died a virgin, but was betrothed to the king of Galicia. She died on her journey thither before she joined her bridegroom. End of section 28. Recording by Roeg 11.